Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Welcome to Stuff Mom Never Told You from HowStuffWorks.com. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Kristen. And I'm Molly. Molly, who would you say is the most famous nurse in history? Uh, I've got two in mind. I would probably say Florence Nightingale yeah. or Clara Barton. And you know what those two nurses have in common? That they're both female. Vaginas. Yeah, they both they both are women. Uh, but one important nurse that is often left out of popular medical history is a man named Edward Glavin, who created the Society of Registered Male Nurses in England in 1937, because Edward Glavin recognized that, you know what? Even though a lot of women are nurses, men are nurses too. Yeah. And we need our, we need a, a society for ourselves. And they don't need to be made punchlines in pop culture. If you saw Meet the Parents, you endured an hour and a half of male nurse jokes. Yeah. Because Ben Stiller's character is a male nurse and Robert De Niro just cannot let it go. Mm-hmm. And so th- that's the stereotype is that there are no male nurses. And if there are, there's something kind of weird about them. Yeah. Uh, like their name might be Gaylord Fokker. Uh-huh. Um, so that's the question we wanted to investigate is why does this stereotype persist? Why do we think of nurses as women? Why is nursing considered women's work? Mm-hmm. And what are the implications of that? And kind of like with the Home Ec podcast, we uncovered some tense relationships between very female-dominated industry sector, i.e. nursing, yes, and feminism, which we'll get to in a minute. So there's a lot of, a lot of interesting stuff we found in this podcast. So shall we start with some history, Kristen? Of course. I love history. Now, uh, you know, when I was researching nursing history, I expected to find like really old articles about the beginning of time and, uh, nursing, you know, during the crusades and the likes. Yes. But you know, most, uh, nursing history articles start with Florence Nightingale, mm-hmm. mid 1800s. So that's that's where the history, I guess, of modern nursing begins. And it's what really cements this association of women and nursing. Mm-hmm. But if we go back in history, way, way back in time, we have in the fourth and the fifth centuries with the monastic movement, a lot of these monks are the earliest nurses. They're the ones going out and um, doing the doing the caretaking. And we have the founding of things like the Order of St. John of Jerusalem and the Knights of St. John in Jerusalem, which led to the St. John Ambulance Association, which all relates back to these male orders mm-hmm. of nursing uh, caregivers, providers, nursing yeah. providers. So until old Florence Nightingale comes along, it might have been a monk or someone in a monastic order providing mm-hmm. care, the women who did the nursing were considered very low status, yes. uh, sometimes akin to prostitutes. The scholar's words, not mine. Uh, you know, the, the people who, the women who nursed were just, you know, it was not a good reputation to have. And it was because at the time, if you needed nursing, hopefully you were wealthy enough to have your family take care of you. So um, old Florence comes along to the Victorian era, the height of it, where, Women aren't educated because it was considered pretty pointless. Mm-hmm. Their brains wouldn't hold any information. Florence Knight happened to have a, a father who wanted to educate his daughters, even though he really wanted a son. But um, And Florence really took to education. She, she wrote some essay where she posited that Victorian women 
went mad because they were so bored not having occupations. Mm -hmm. So she was very um, much atypical of her time. She turned down an engagement from a guy she seemed to love, but she just felt that that was going to stand in her way of being a woman of importance. Mm -hmm. And very early on, she realized that she liked nursing strangers, even though that was frowned upon. Yeah. And then we have a war, the Crimean War, mm-hmm. with between Britain and Russia. And she noticed that all of these Russian soldiers were getting much better care than the British soldiers. And Florence Nightingale was outraged for her countrymen. She saw her opportunity. Yes. She went over and started uh, organizing the hospitals where the British soldiers were kept during the war. And she became known as the Lady with the Lamp because she would go around with her lamp at night and check on all the male soldiers as they lay sick. And uh, she really applied a rigorous uh, set of rules to the hospitals and to the women who worked there. And it, like you said, Kristen, this kind of reminds of the Home Ec podcast where these early Home Ec pioneers were very much about applying science to mm-hmm. homemaking. And that's how Florence Nightingale felt. She's like, we're going to bring in these rules about how a hospital will look, who works there, and so on and so forth. Uh, she did feel that women kind of were intuitively meant for this role, that they had these ingrained senses of empathy and caring that made them good nurses, mm-hmm. but they also need to go through a rigorous training to be the best nurses they could be. Right. So that was the model, the model that Florence Nightingale established. That was the model that hospitals adopted and started to run with. But at the same time, while she was so emphatic about women's natural abilities to nurse, it also segregated men from mm-hmm. being able to nurse as well. So we have this shift from, you know, the early fifth, uh, sixth centuries and onward up until, um, let's see, around, I think, like the 16th and 17th century when nursing really becomes more of um, the women's domain. Uh, with Florence Nightingale, she was really adamant about keeping the men out of it. And she also establishes nurses' homes and residence to house women um, who were nursing students. And nursing, that prevents men from being able to get the nursing education as well because they don't have a place to stay. And this will continue on, you know, probably still happens today where a nursing school says, you know, we don't have male bathrooms because the teachers are female, the students are female. There's no, there's no way for you to come here, male student. And so people who adopt the Nightingale model, everyone adopt, adopts it because those British soldiers did so well and got so much publicity. They set up these schools within the hospitals, not mm-hmm. within a college or university, for women to go and become trained as nurses. They were taught by other nurses. So it's it's a very um, female-dominated model from the top down. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they worked with the doctors who were male and the patients you know, one one article kind of posits that it was this very Victorian family where yes. the doctors were the male leaders. They were the fathers. The nurses were the mothers who obeyed what the doctors did. And the patients were the children under everyone's care. Mm-hmm. But then the formal segregation of women and men in nursing happens in Britain with the Nurses Act of 1919 that confined men to a separate register. And so they were set aside. Mm -hmm. You couldn't register as a male nurse. You just, you could not go and say, I'm a male nurse. And also it's around this time that male nurses are relegated to asylums Mm -hmm. and mental health wards, whereas women are doing more of the main healthcare type of work. Right. Because men are super strong. You know, they fall back on another, (laughs) fall back on another gender stereotype and, you know, somewhat true about physical strength of men. Mm -hmm. They were the ones who could hold down those unruly, mentally ill, Patients. And right. so then when you think about someone like Nurse Ratchet in One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, 
she's very manly. Mm-hmm. You know, they, you know, we can talk, you know, for days about how nurses are depicted in pop culture, but that particular one shows that people thought really strong masculine people needed to work with the mentally ill. And that further serves to divide people who are working in hospitals or nursing homes from people who are working in uh, mental health areas. So because of that gender segregation, we have people like Edward Glavin, who I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, who in 1937 starts up the Society of Registered Male Nurses because he was outraged pretty much at the, at the lack of educational opportunities for men who wanted to pursue nursing. And also in the U.S., I thought this was interesting, it wasn't until 1971 that men in the American men formed a similar association called the American Assembly for Men in Nursing. But because that stereotype gets set so quickly after Florence Nightingale takes charge of this nursing profession, you know, they become, they're, they're such minorities. Mm-hmm. And when, when a male wants to pursue nursing, they quickly get labeled as an other. There's a huge stereotype that male nurses are gay. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, pretty much, uh, through the early 1900s through about 1960, that's, that's the stereotype. Is there something wrong with a man who wants to be a nurse? He should probably be a doctor. Right. And even still, male nurses are excluded from helping out with obstetrics work, mm-hmm. um, childbirth, things like that. Like when you think about the maternity ward and you go see the, the room with all the little babies in it, who's taking care of them? Female nurses. You don't see male nurses up in there. Right. And, you know, I was reading one article where a male nurse was talking about how he worked in pediatrics and he'd walk in to take care of the child and the child would say, you're not a woman. I mean, mm-hmm. it's, it's ingrained so early on that your nurse is going to be female. Mm-hmm. So now we're up to about 1960. It's, it's a problem. Men like Edward Glavin are trying to deal with it. Along comes second wave feminism. I feel like this, this transition along comes second wave <laughs> feminism has happened in so many of our podcasts. Yeah. But it really, you know, it's significant because here, here's a statistic that we found um, in a study in the Journal of Advanced Nursing. From 1958 to 1960, only 1% of nurses were men, but in comparison, 6.5% of physicians and 2.8% of dentists were women. So we're starting to see this shift of women breaking through the more male dominated, um, medical fields mm-hmm. into doctors, uh, being doctors and dentists. Whereas men are still having so much trouble breaking into this female industry. Right. And you know what? A lot of people wish would have happened is that when these feminists came along and started saying, Hey, women, you can be the best you can be. Yeah. You can be a doctor. Are you educated? Don't be a nurse. Don't be a sissy nurse. Be a doctor. They really put down the field of nursing because they were like, women have always been nurses, so there must be something wrong with mm-hmm. it. And uh, I think that has really hurt the field. Like with the Home Ec podcast, I think this is a huge fault of second wave feminism is that they didn't bring men into nursing and they only urged women to become doctors because nursing and being a doctor Two different professions. Right. And while I can see that it's troubling to uh, hear Florence Nightingale say things like, well, women are meant to be nurses because we're just natural caregivers. Mm-hmm. You know, we're just maternal giving people. So we're, we're cut out for this kind of work. I can see how that's difficult, but you can't have a problem with that. And just at the same by the same token, disregard all of the contributions to healthcare and uh, medical history that nurses have provided for right. us. And what the feminists do is they kind of see medicine as a hierarchy with the nurses at the very bottom, which is, you know, often how they're paid. They receive low salaries mm-hmm. in a hospital. They might be seen on the lowest rung despite doing so much of the work. But the feminists very much see this hierarchy where it's nursing at the bottom, 
doctors at the top. Mm-hmm. So naturally they want all the women who are interested in medicine to become doctors. And it really hurts the nursing profession because it further sort of stigmatizes it as something that, you know, is, is something that, you know, the lowest of the low do, despite the fact that it's a very meaningful profession that we need, you know, our best people in, including men. Right. And uh, I mean, and just uh, thinking about it, when you and I were, were chatting about this topic earlier, I mean, how how often do you see a nurse practitioner compared to a doctor? Very so often. much more often. I know my nurse much better than I know my doctor. And because of this, in 1999, the nurse delegates um, uh, in the British Public Service Union elected to drop the image of For- Florence Nightingale as the patron saint of nurses because they felt that she represents a, quote, negative and backward element of nursing. And it's just interesting to think about this, this tension mm-hmm. within the nursing field, because uh, from the public perspective, we think of Florence Nightingale as this wonderful figure. The lady with the lamp. She's the lady with the lamp. She was one of the most revered figures in popular women's history. So right. of course that's great. Uh, but once you get into actual nursing. <laughs> and one of the reasons that that group cited for dropping Nightingale was that she, you know, didn't really recognize the value of mental health nursing, which, as we mentioned, Mm -hmm. is where all the men were stuck. And, you know, she was sort of that pioneer of nursing comes naturally to women, not men. So, you know, maybe idolizing her leaves the men out of it. But, you know, what's interesting is uh, this paper that you talked about in the Journal of Advanced Nursing, Kristen, talked about how, you know, wars are times when men can become nurses just because it's so needed. Mm -hmm. Um, But the way that they attract men is so much different than the way that they try to recruit women. Right. You know, there were a lot of examples of during the war, they'd have like these really manly posters, like be a man, be a nurse. Yeah. Are you man enough to be a nurse? Like, do you love science? Then you will be a good nurse. Whereas women were not recruited with things like science and going to war. Mm You know, women were told this is a job that you can do and have a family because you can move wherever your husband gets a job. You can schedule your work around the time your kids are in school. Whereas men, you know, very quickly to get men into the field, people were saying, well, you can be in charge of all the nurses. Mm -hmm. You can be a male nurse and be in charge because you've got the caring skills, but you've also got all those masculine skills that the female nurses don't have. Right. And that, and that family friendly angle of nurses that's, uh, you know, that marketing pitch to, to women to become nurses is yet another point of tension mm-hmm. between feminism and nursing because, you know, it's like, well, why, you know, well, why should we, why should the women have to be the ones only looking out for, you know, how their profession fits into their family right. lifestyle? Right. And this article makes the point, Kristen, that, you know, because of the reason that uh, nursing was sold to women as this family-friendly position, that was even more reason that if you had a male nurse to put him in charge because mm. he wouldn't have to worry about his family. He could be the administrator who is there 40 hours a week, whereas, you know, you can't depend on the female nurse. So even in, in trying to get more male nurses involved and putting them in leadership roles, it kind of just steps over the women who had already been serving as nurses. Mm-hmm. Uh, for all those years. And even though there are those lingering stereotypes about, you know, the Gaylord Fokker thing mm-hmm. with, with male nurses, it's a good idea for people, male or female, to pursue nursing because it is one of the fastest growing industry sectors in the U.S. with the aging baby boomer population. Yes. So... You know, the medical field needs nurses and nursing is certainly not a one size fits all kind of profession. There are not only different, um, 
duties and different settings for nursing, obviously. But there are also different uh, educational avenues that you can get in with from a from licensed practical nursing. It's more of an on-the-job um, training under the supervision of registered nurses and physicians all the way up to advanced practice registered nurse and doctoral degree. Mm-hmm. So you can get your Ph.D. in nursing. Right. You can do just a realm of educational opportunities. And then you can have your choice of a, a wide array of a wide array of places to work from a hospital, uh, a doctor's office or clinic, a nursing home. You can work in other people's home as a home nurse. Uh, you can work in public health. You can work in an office taking care of office workers. So it's such this, it's such a broad career. Anyone who's ever been to a doctor or hospital knows how much work these, these nurses do. Mm-hmm. But, you know, that stigma still remains, not just for male nurses, but kind of for all nurses. Yeah, just the idea that, of them being subordinate yeah. to, they're the doctor's subordinates. Right. And it's just, and you know, a lot of people say that that is because, that, that that stigma persists because it is quote unquote women's work, that mm-hmm. it's something that all women can do because they can all just take care of you, blah, blah, no big deal. And it's really unfortunate. I wish that, uh, we can right here, you and I can give nurses the shout out that they all deserve, though I'm sure they'd rather take a bigger salary or more respect from their coworkers. But nurses, we salute you. Yeah, maybe, you know, instead of on the on the sitcom that everyone loves to hate scrubs, uh perhaps they could have had Zach Brass character be training for a nurse instead of a doctor and I really agree. gotten a gender friendly message home to all of the people out there watching. I agree. Just an idea. I mean, if if only we had sitcom time machines, Molly. The things that we could do. Well, Kristen, as I once learned from a popular hit song, the future is still unwritten. So one of our listeners out there might have the perfect idea for a new show that will highlight the plight of male and female nurses. I'd watch it. I await, I await your contributions, listeners. <laughs> and you know, Kristen, I did want to read one email that touched on something you brought up. This is an email from Meg, and she writes about something we often do on the podcast where when we talk about a health issue, we often end with, you know, talk to your doctor, make a doctor's appointment. You know, mm-hmm. we say that a lot because we're not medical experts. She writes, I realize that I haven't visited with an MD at my doctor's office in the last 10 years. I have changed practices, visited different clinics in different states, and the pattern is still the same. I always see a nurse practitioner or an advanced practice RN. Um, I wait the time when I will hear you say, make an appointment with your nurse practitioner. So we should start doing that on our health podcast, be more inclusive. See, See a medical professional. Thank you, Meg. Maybe today is the day. Beginning of the future that is yet unwritten. Well, I've got a podcast. Oh, not a podcast. I've got an email here on our episode on whether it costs more to be a woman. And this is from Roz. I gotta say, I'm just gonna give a shout out to Roz right now. Roz is a very responsive listener. And Roz made an excellent point about this episode in which Roz says, I noticed in your podcast there is no mention of car insurance. This is based on sex-based pricing that is openly described just because I am a male, I need to pay more for car insurance. I would think this example would be worthy of discussion in the podcast. And it would have been. And yes, we did not uh, deliberately overlook it. It just didn't come up. So what do you guys think? Should men have to pay more for car insurance just because they are men? Well, taking into account... That men are statistically more likely to get into car wrecks. You guys are more serious ones, yes. Serious ones, yeah. You guys are a little more reckless drivers statistically, but should they just have to pay more based on their gender? Well, if we say yes, that's 
That's sexism. Right. So, so no. no. It should be on driving record. Yeah. So there you go. Question answered. So if you have any questions you'd like us to answer, you can send us an email at momstuff at howstuffworks.com. You can also post it on our fan page on Facebook, and you can also tweet us at momstuffpodcast. And finally, if you'd like to keep up with us during the week, we're blogging over at Stuff Mom Never Told You on HowStuffWorks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. To learn more about the podcast, click on the podcast icon in the upper right corner of our homepage. The HowStuffWorks iPhone app has arrived. Download it today on iTunes. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you?